Hello from ABA Annual Meeting 2017 in New York City. I'm Lawrence Galetti. I'm Reed Trouts. And I'm Mary Meg McCarthy. And I'm Greg Siskind. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. And we're back. Thank you so much for joining our continuing coverage of the ABA annual meeting here in New York City, the Big Apple, Midtown Manhattan at the Hilton. I have a very special lineup here today. We kind of set up a special arrangement through the modern uh, technology that we have here. I have a guest from Memphis, Tennessee, Mr. Greg Siskin. Welcome to the show. Nice to be here. Thank you. And then I have uh, two guests with me here in New York City at the Hilton. I have Mr. Reed Trouts. Hello. Nice to see you again, Lawrence. And I have a new face uh, we just met at this conference, Mary Meg. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. So as a podcast host, we don't often give away the microphone, but I was listening to everybody set up in pregame, and I realized that I don't know enough about this area of law to be uh, of uh, value. So I'm going to hand the hosting mic over to Mr. Reed Trouts. Take it away, sir. Thank you, Lawrence. I appreciate it. You know, we did this uh, in Miami at the mid-year and wanted to give... Uh, the audience uh, an update really on what's going on in immigration because as lawyers we know that since the beginning of the Trump administration immigration has been a priority there's been lots of information out there in the news but maybe not a lot of information that lawyers really you know might want to know so that they have a better understanding of really what's going on in, in immigration law and policy. And in fact, what we'll talk about today is how they might get involved, even if they're not an immigration lawyer, with some of the issues, because they, they do go to the root of our society and our economy here today. So I'm very pleased to have uh, Greg and Mary Mag join and be able to talk about those. So I want to ask you, and Greg, I'll go to you first, sort of What's the biggest issue of all the ones, the executive orders and the congressional acts that have been introduced? What in your mind is uh, really the big issues that are, are facing uh, both the Congress, but also the American public today because of these immigration uh, proposals? Well, I think one of the challenges is that it's coming at us from a variety of fronts. There's not one single immigration issue. There's a lot of them that are coming in. Um, you know, during the campaign, President Trump's uh, campaign website had a uh, list of 10 big ideas for things that they wanted to pursue uh, immigration. And that's sort of been a checklist for me as, uh, as we've been hearing about different policies and uh, different actions and different executive uh, orders as far as what his priorities are. And it's been a, um, you know, he's, he's hit quite a few of them. There's a few that he hasn't, but for the most part, um, he has. And it really, I think it depends on what area of immigration law you're in as far as where it's impacting you. He had a, uh, a number of proposals that deal with undocumented immigrants, and some of them were well known in the campaign, like the wall. And um, But uh, some of them were uh, maybe less known. Um, if you are a removal lawyer, certainly we've seen a, uh, an increase in deportation, um, deportation activity. Um, if you are a lawyer that deals with business immigration issues, um, you've probably had clients that have been affected by the Muslim ban. You've been, uh, if you deal with uh, skilled workers, you're dealing with uh, the repercussions of the Buy American, Hire American executive action. If you deal with startup companies, there was a big regulation that was supposed to take effect a couple weeks ago called Entrepreneur Parole, which was pulled at the last minute. So it really depends on the kind of practice you have. And I think if you talk to different immigration lawyers, they're going to tell you, this is hitting my practice the most or that's hitting my practice the most. 
But from your perspective, and I know you represent clients uh, in a wide variety of settings, but in terms of, of how it's impacting uh, or could impact uh, the U.S. And, and the economy and sort of our, our culture, uh, you know, what would you say is, is the one or two biggest issues out there? Well, I think the biggest change and the one that probably concerns me the most is something that's different from this presidency versus probably any in the 27 years that I've been uh, practicing immigration law is the attack on legal immigration. Um, you know, we've certainly seen uh, crackdowns on uh, undocumented immigrants in the past and uh, changes in, in different administrations there. But for the most part, um, except you know, maybe 20 years ago during the uh, Clinton administration for a brief period of time, for the most part, presidents tend to be very pro-legal immigration, pro-skilled skilled worker immigration. It's part. Most presidents have been uh, pro-trade, and we're really, I think, seeing uh, a change at, at that level. And probably the um, RAISE Act that was introduced, uh, I guess, the week before last is the latest example um, of an attack on skilled worker immigration, which I think, you know, in the long run, probably... Uh, poses the most dangerous for the U.S. economy because companies are not going to be starting. We're not going to be attracting uh, the best and the brightest. Companies that rely on skilled workers are going to start looking overseas and for the, putting their operations. And I, I just see a lot of danger signals if that um, takes hold. Yeah, and, and one of those uh, in that RAISE Act is to change the way uh, uh, immigrants can come into the United States and, and basically eliminate most family-based immigration, but also change the, the business immigration to a point system where you get so many points for different characteristics about you, your education, your background, your language skills. And I, I think you've seen this uh, by uh, this article by Bill Stock, and it was on the Fox News uh, uh, website, uh, where he looked uh, at some of his past clients who ha have been those entrepreneurs and been those uh, job generators here in the United States. And he went back and looked and said, if they were to come in under this proposed new point system, they wouldn't get in today. And these are people who are have extraordinary capabilities that are needed by companies here in the United States. So uh, I, I, I get what you're saying is that, uh, you know, there are fundamental changes that are being proposed here that are going to affect uh, all parts. Mary Meg, let me bring you in for a minute because you're you're in a slightly different part of immigration practice, but you deal a lot of times with people who are uh, in your role in dealing with uh, asylum and other types of of entry into the states. Can you give us a little background and then tell us what you think are really the impactful areas today to be concerned about? Thank you very much, Reed. Um, I'm the director of the National Immigrant Justice Center, um, as well as the co-chair of the ABA Commission on Immigration. And I think one of the areas of great concern to us right now is the treatment of refugees or asylum seekers, as well as immigrants in our communities. Um, we've seen the various executive orders related to immigration um, that attack refugees and that's currently in the courts and we'll see what the Supreme Court does in the near future but that clearly is impacting refugees who have been vetted extensively and now been barred from coming in the country but also impacts refugees who are here who are trying to bring family members over to be reunited. I think the other area that does not get as much attention but is 
clearly concerning is the executive order regarding the interior enforcement. And in that, we have seen that prosecutorial discretion, which was exercised um, throughout the past administrations, is no longer viable. It's been eliminated. So every immigrant is a target, even individuals who have certain individuals with green cards and who are lawful permanent residents. So the executive order you're talking about, there used to be as sort of uh, ground rules as to where people were, uh, immigrants were picked up, and if they were within so many miles of the border and so many days, that would determine sort of what process applied to them. And now it's really become indiscriminate. Uh, there is no real priority anymore. So people who have no criminal backgrounds, who've been here a long time, yes, they've not been here legally, but they've also been led a good life and, and done everything right. And they're being picked up and, and deported from the United States, whether they have a family here, whether they have a home here, whether they have a job here, they're being sent back. Correct. Looking at statistics from the same time last year, we've seen a nearly 40% increase in arrests of immigrants. And we've also seen an increase, a dramatic increase in the number of individuals who are placed in the immigration court proceedings, which is then resulting in expanding their increasing the backlog in the immigration court system so immigrants are living in fear and anxiety many of them now are being detained um, in remote facilities without access to counsel and and let's talk about that for a minute Uh, i don't think a lot of people know that we we detain uh, essentially jail thousands of immigrants, thousands of people who've lived here while they're waiting for that process to happen at a significant cost to the American taxpayer, but also um, not necessarily with the same uh, level of due process. And I know you've been involved in that. Can you explain that to our audience in terms of what's been happening? Right. Just to give you a sense of the numbers, in the past administration, we saw about 34,000 individuals a day held in immigration custody. Currently, that has increased to 41,000 individuals a day. And the Trump administration is now asking for funding to detain 51,000 people a day. At the same time, you have to realize that we're seeing a decrease in the people who are crossing the border. So who's being detained? These are individuals who have strong family ties, relationships here. In fact, I think it's 60% of the undocumented population have been here for more than a decade. So what we're seeing is an increase of individuals who are hardworking members of our community being detained in county jails and private prisons without access to counsel many times because immigrants, unlike other individuals who are placed in the criminal justice system, don't have a right to appoint a counsel. And that's one of the resolutions that we're presenting this week to the American Bar Association House of Delegates, asking that there be government-funded attorneys for individuals who are held in detention. And I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about uh, the women and children from Central America. Again, that flow has has slowed down greatly. But for people to understand sort of what's been happening there, that these aren't people who are crossing the border illegally. They're presenting themselves for asylum, but there's been some games being played and some rights being violated. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Right. They have a legal right to cross into this country to seek protection under our 
U.S. refugee law, asylum law, as well as under international law. And what we're doing is we are arresting and detaining these mothers and children. And what historically was the case is after they pass initial screening, they'd be released and they would be able to be in the communities. The children would be with families and the mothers would be able to care for their children outside of a jail setting. Now we're seeing that this administration is not releasing them and they're raising their children in a jail, in a prison, not because they've committed any type of crime or anything, but rather they're seeking asylum. So it's a clear violation of international law, as well as our own humanitarian law. If we treat individuals like this in this country, what does that say about our values and what we believe and hold true? And Greg, I want to bring you back in on that note. I mean, really what we do uh, with our immigration law and policy, how we treat immigrants is really a reflection of our American culture and society. Um, and you, you, you agree with that, but you also see it from a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, overwhelmingly political, the political polls that are out there seem to support uh, a pro-immigration policy. So I think some of the pundits out there are saying that this reflects some change in thinking uh, with the American populace. It does, it's not reflected in the uh, in the polls. I was only going to add um, to what Mary Meg was talking about is that, you know, with these executive actions, there's a couple of things that haven't really happened yet that uh, I think there's some concern that the problems that she was talking about are going to get much worse. Mm-hmm. One is the um, is expedited removal, which... Right now, if you you know, we were talking about detention, you're talking about uh, courts being backlogged. But what the administration is talking about is the possibility of uh, a large number of people that are here without uh, documents being removed if they can't prove that they've been here for at least two years without any access to the courts. And I was, you know, I think a lot of lawyers were were assuming that. Uh, you know, if the courts are backlogged for four and five years, um, that uh, at least people would still have the opportunity um, to make their case. But I think what concerns a lot of us is that people are just going to be removed without ever having uh, their day in court. And Mary Meg also talked about refugee uh, processing, the, I mean, the refugee numbers. And I think that one thing that concerns me as well is what was, we've mentioned, the RAISE Act. The point system and, the, and cutting most of the family categories have gotten all the headlines, but the RAISE Act actually caps refugee numbers at 50,000 and ties the hands of future presidents. You know, if one president wants to cut the numbers back, that's their uh, right to do so. But, um, you know, if the RAISE Act passed, it would basically require an act of Congress to raise those numbers up again. So, you know, there's a, uh, there's a lot that the president is... Uh, uh, that the, the president hasn't done yet that we're worried that is coming. I think the only thing positive that we've seen probably is the continuation of the DACA program, but even that right now is in danger um, if litigation in Texas uh, proceeds in, uh, along the same way that the DAPA program did from two years ago. Right, and those are, those are the uh, programs that affect the, you know, what are called dreamers, right, the kids who were brought here uh, by their parents when they were very young as children, yep. but they're not uh, they're not here as legal citizens. Yeah, so I mean, they uh, it's that's that one little positive that we've seen so far. Um, I think is hanging by a thread. So we've got a lot of lawyers out there that are looking at these things and saying, you know, what can I do to get involved? They they might not have uh, an immigration law background, but uh, they may have uh, certainly other. Uh, legal skills uh, to both of you. How would you? How would you? What would you say to lawyers who want to get involved 
and uh, uh, try to help with these issues because there is litigation going on, but there may be new litigation coming too that they could be a part of. Yeah, I I think there's a lot of opportunities for lawyers um, from looking at some of the constitutional issues. We've seen um, threats to cities um, and local municipalities and counties if they um, pass a sanctuary city or welcoming city ordinance. Um, And there are some Fourth Amendment issues related to um, forcing local authorities to collaborate or cooperate with the federal uh, immigration enforcement uh, operations. Um, I also think there's a lot going on now in the area of family law because um, immigrants are afraid that if they are deported, there may be issues relating to their children who are U.S. citizens, um, as well as um, probate and estates, what happens to their financial assets in their homes. Um, but I would argue also that there's still a lot of opportunities for um, attorneys to be trained by organizations to represent pro bono non-citizens who are in removal proceedings. We've seen continue to see a large percent of unaccompanied immigrant children appearing alone in courtrooms. Um, The need is great and um, legal aid organizations are not able to fulfill that need alone. And and one fact to add is that the court statistics show when a person, a child, an adult is represented by an attorney and has had that opportunity, their chance of success is far greater than if they've never talked to an attorney before. So that's why it's important and there just isn't a capacity right now to to provide lawyers uh, for all those folks. But if we had more lawyers who were you know, not trained and could get trained, that's why there are you know, a, a number of ways to get involved through different organizations. Absolutely. And I do think there's also opportunities for people to express their opinions um, and to support and stand with immigrants. Um, We're not in danger of being deported, and uh, this is an opportunity for us. And I know Senator Graham and Senator Durbin have introduced the DREAM Act. Um, It's important to tell your Congress people that you support positive legislation. So I'll just give a quick plug to the Immigrant Justice Campaign that's uh, coming together by the American Immigration Lawyers Association, by the uh, American Immigration Council. Uh, Lawyers can get information, and I know uh, that there's efforts there to uh, provide training in immigration law, mentoring, and to uh, try to reach uh, some of these people who need lawyers in the detention centers uh, through existing programs that we're trying to uh, increase that capacity. And and Greg, finally to you, in terms of where would you recommend that listeners go to get uh, good information about what's really happening with the law and policy and regulations in this country? Where do you look for your information to uh, help you understand all these things that are going on? Well, I'm always a, uh, I'm ready to plug the American Immigration Lawyers Association website, which has tremendous information, both for its members and for the uh, broader public, um, and that's, uh, that's a good place to go. The, uh, the, and the ABA has, uh, ha- has resources on its site as well, especially regarding pro bono projects. And so those are two places to go. There's a lot of great organizations like American Immigration Council and Northwest Immigration Rights Project and ACLU, and a lot of them that have really strong immigration sections on their websites that are talking about litigation activities. So they're out there. I only wanted to add, I think, uh, 
as well um, to what you were talking about uh, before regarding pro bono activities that, um, you know, AILA, the American Immigration Lawyer Association, and the ABA have been facilitating at the local level pro bono efforts in Memphis. My community has been one example of that where the ABA has provided grant funding to our uh, local bar association to uh, assist with uh, un- unaccompanied minors that are showing up in the immig- in our immigration court. Uh, AILA, our local immigration chapter, has been providing mentoring to non-immigration lawyers in our area. And so one of the things I would probably say would be to um, look to AILA and find out with their local chapters if they're leading uh, any efforts for trainings and asylum and representing unaccompanied minors and other categories where there just simply aren't enough uh, immigration lawyers to be able to represent that clientele and where there are these uh, pro bono opportunities that are available. I would just add to that, Greg, I think that's a really good point, is for people to get involved with their local communities and local organizations, um, including AILA, but to make those connections because um, there's so much to be done in this arena right now, and I think even at the state and local level, to let your city officials, the school boards, the more we engage the communities at the home level, I think we're going to have a real impact um, because it's going to be challenging at the federal level. And the more we do this, not just on immigration law, but on constitutional issues and what the law is, what, what really is a sanctuary city? What are we really talking about? And not just you know, listening to the headlines, but as lawyers digging a little bit deeper and getting to the facts and the law, I think would be really helpful to move us all forward in this. All right. Well, that was a terrific job hosting there, Reed. I really appreciate it. Uh, terrific show, everybody. Wonderful contributions. I uh, want to thank uh, Greg Siskin for joining us uh, here from Memphis, Tennessee. want to thank Mary Meg McCarthy for joining us here in New York with Reed Trouts, also here in New York. And I uh, just had one last question for you guys. I know we were dropping some information for different organizations to call and get involved with. But, you know, if our listeners wanted to follow up with you personally, uh, you know, would you mind leaving some contact information for them? Let's, let's start with Reed. Sure. The easiest way way is uh, uh, email address uh, PPC that stands for practice and professionalism center PPC at ala.org and that'll get to me all right Mary Meg uh, yes the easiest way is uh, by email address which is mmccarthy at heartlandalliance.org how about you Greg uh, easiest is email for me as well at G for Greg Siskind, S-I-S-K-I-N-D at Visa Law, V-I-S-A-L-A-W dot com. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us and our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple Podcasts. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.